Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we hear from all types of fascinating tango professionals. We hear about their experiences, their insights, and through that, we figure out ways to improve our own tango. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, thanks to all you newcomers out there. I'm really happy to have you with us. And please take a moment to check out our previous episodes. You will no doubt find answers to many of your burning tango questions. To help keep the podcast going, I'm also accepting donations through PayPal. There's a link in the description and also one on the podcast website. Thank you very much for your support. My guest today is an internationally renowned dancer and teacher. He is a co-founder of the LA Tango Academy, and although he's been teaching tango for over 20 years, he's been immersed in artistic expression since childhood. He has a background in theater, music, and a variety of other dance forms. On top of that, he also has extensive training as a gymnast. He's traveled all over the globe to dance, teach, and study tango, and is working hard to push his dancing even further. And with me now is James Friedgen. James! Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Great to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, James. So you have been involved with the arts all of your life. Uh, so how did you fall in love with tango? Well, uh, I I was in love with dance in general, I think, since uh, as, well, as far back as I can remember as a little boy. Uh, and when I found uh, tango, the first time I saw Argentine tango was at the Argentine Association in Los Angeles. And I think I was, uh, I hadn't quite turned 16 yet. And uh, a friend of my parents took us to the association on a Sunday afternoon. And I saw all these people in their 60s and 70s doing this incredibly beautiful dance to this strange, interesting music. And uh, I thought, this is, this is super cool. I want to do this. Nice. So what was your very first tango lesson like? Did you remember? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, it was with Alberto Toledano and Lorene Arbus. Mm. I think it was around October, uh, September or October of uh, 1996, something like that. And uh, they uh, taught us uh, La Salida Basica. And uh, I learned it. I learned both parts. And uh, the next week they taught uh, Ochos from the Cross. So very, you know, super classic salon approach. Nice. And did you pick it up pretty easily or was it challenging? Oh yeah, I was uh, I was I was killing it until up until uh, the uh, the fourth week. <laughs> that was back ochos, and then I just I found I, I hit my first wall in the whole mm. world of dance. I hit my first real wall, mm. uh, and I think that that's when I was really hooked. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was frustrating, but it took me a while to figure out how to lead back ochos uh, comfortably and well. Yeah. Nice. So once you got hooked, did you uh, start heading out to Malangas right away? Uh, I was pretty shy. Mm. And everyone was like 40 years my senior at least. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I did. My parents started going. Mm-hmm. And I did go uh, with them. And I, I didn't have a lot of nerve to ask people to dance. But uh, a lot of the older Argentine ladies were, you know, they would just, just grab me and make me do it. And that very helpful. <laughs> And then uh, I would go to the practicas at the Argentine Association on Wednesday nights, and mostly it was Angel Echeverria and uh, some other uh, Argentine guys, Daniel and uh, uh, Tito and Rafa, and they, they would just kind of make me follow them, make me read them, and show me show me different things, uh, different uh, variations mm-hmm. on whatever I was learning on Monday night from Alberto and Lorene. Mm-hmm. 
Do you remember your very first dance at a Malanga? I do. I do. It is, it is burned into my mind for all time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds interesting. What happened? Well, it was, uh, I think it was down near Marina del Rey or something like that. It was uh, Michael and Lorenz's uh, farewell dance from uh, uh, L.A. They were moving from L.A. to Santa Fe. And uh, at the time, they were, they were pretty much the, the biggest American names uh, as far as just the performance of the dance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there was a farewell party for them. And there were about, I, I, I think, something like 300 people on the floor. And uh, I got up the nerve to dance, and uh, I danced with uh, my mom. <laughs> I just kind of froze on the floor. <laughs> I, I did. I did like half a salida básica and mm-hmm. froze, and I, I couldn't remember anything else I learned. Mm-hmm. I was holding up the line of dance, and the guy behind me said, "Just do something." <laughs> and just I stood still for like half the song because I was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And I, I had no idea what to do. And, uh, and then when we went mm-hmm. back to our table, our, uh, our friend translated for us uh, from a couple of uh, older Argentine guys. They said they, they liked my musicality. <laughs> yeah, you weren't rushing at least, right? Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know <laughs> yet that standing still was like really cool. Nice, nice. Yeah, I remember when you mentioned about hitting hitting that first wall and how that sometimes has a tendency to hook us. So as you started on your tango journey and started uh, taking more and more classes, what's some really good or some memorable advice that you've gotten from some of your teachers? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a long, long list. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot of teachers, so it's uh, it's mm-hmm. been a long list, but... I think, you know, I, I was I was kind of um, I wouldn't say humiliated, but or, or bullied or anything like that. But I was very much held accountable for my embrace by a large part of that older Argentine community in LA in the '90s. Mm. And I think that's something that I didn't really get from classes that much back in that day. Mm-hmm. And I think by by the you know, early 2000s, it was very in vogue to talk about the embrace mm-hmm. and the quality of the embrace in, in class, private lessons. But back then, it wasn't so much. And and, and I got that from the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got uh, a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, somebody would dance with me and then they would kind of whisper about how my arms were too too tight or too stiff or, you know, whatever. And eventually, it would get around to somebody who would tell me about it and and uh, I, I think that was that was super helpful. It was a weird kind of community way of holding me accountable mm-hmm. for holding people well. Uh, and I think a lot of that is is the most influential thing, not necessarily uh, even just advice from teachers or wise old masters, which is plenty of. But I think a lot of the uh, a lot of that uh, community suggestion mm-hmm. is extremely powerful. Uh, and, uh, I heard a, a woman at the uh, uh, Argentine Association telling another woman that mm-hmm. an American could never dance like an Argentine. Now, I'm 18 years old. Mm. Overhear this, and and it was highly motivating. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to prove them wrong, and it's it easy in the sense of of really falling in love with the music, uh, dance, uh, in, in terms of of showing that this is a human dance and have a lot to be grateful for, uh, for uh, Argentina and Buenos Aires mm-hmm. and uh, the golden era and this incredible wealth of music and, and dance movement that, that uh, we, we share. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a human dance. And, Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it sounds like you had some pretty intense moments as uh, as you first started out and just kind of throwing you right in there with all the all the Argentines. So, you know, as a teacher, you would know that getting good at tango is largely mental, not just physical. So, so what are some ways, in your opinion, James, to become a mentally strong tango dancer? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's another, that's another great question. Uh, I think with a, a, a huge uh, range of answer, it's very helpful if, if local instructors and people's introduction to the dance involves some concern for that or a great concern for that, that we have to get people comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We have to get people laughing off failures while still taking them seriously and learning from them. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to we have to get people used to the difficulty of really developing as a tango dancer compared to many other activities that we're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're going to have to confront something eventually that's going to make us really upset, or, mm-hmm. or, or we're going to hit a wall. For me, it was just simply back ochos and the fact that I couldn't do something in, in dance. I had a lot of success as a kid because I liked it and I did a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But hitting that wall is what really hooked me. And I think that if you can create an environment that makes people comfortable with failure, mm-hmm. uh, I think they really just develop that, that mental fortitude by example over time more than anything else. That, that, that the instructors are willing to fail in front of the class is, is very important. And that performers take enough of a risk that sometimes it, <laughs> they stumble or it doesn't work out. And it reminds us that this is, we are really aiming for that perfect time and that, that absolutely brilliant musicality or whatever it is, but that we're improvising, uh, even choreographies should look natural and have improv- improvisational mm-hmm. kind of quality to them and how well they flow together. Uh, and there is that aspect to it. Uh, and, and we can't, uh, you know, I think, I think getting, getting people used to it. I just had a friend uh, who was taking private lessons from me for a while. We know uh, uh, a few weeks ago that uh, it would have been helpful if I had warned him about how hard it would be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I, I listened to that. You know, and I thought, yeah, I, I yeah. should, I should do more of that. And in the past, I have done more of that, and it's been, it's been successful. Getting people mm-hmm. used to that, getting saying, listen, you know, this is going to be really sloppy for a while, and you're going to be. You're going to care a lot and you're going to try really hard to make it less sloppy, mm-hmm. but it's going to take time, you know, and it's going to be confusing. And as soon as you get one thing under your belt, you know, you're going to be working on something else. And that, that's irrelevant as far as style or anything else. I mean, that's, that's going to be the process of, of learning tango. And if you can keep, keep it light mm-hmm. around, uh, around uh, failing and not feeling like you're confused or, or lost about it, just keep it light and, and right. just fun uh, with the mystery for a while because it won't last forever you know for mm-hmm. pretty soon you'll know exactly where you are in the turn yeah you know <laughs> you know or whatever else you'll be able to do uh this dance uh, uh really well yeah I, I don't know if you find this uh i know with a lot of uh, experienced dancers whom i've talked to they say oh they um, of course they love it when they start to get it like you say they start to you know really know where they are in certain figures such as turns but at the same, same time sometimes i'll look at beginners and say you know sometimes i kind of miss being a beginner do you ever miss that feeling of being a beginner very much so mm-hmm. uh, I, I i miss it a lot uh, and I think that's part of what drives me to go to beginner classes when I get a chance to. I, I, I like to take class. I like to take uh, local classes wherever I am when I have the chance. And what I found as, as I've progressed in the dance and as I've developed is that I, I value the absolute beginner classes mm-hmm. more 
than the fancy tricks or fancy musicality classes or, or whatever else, the advanced stuff. Uh, I find that's always fun and interesting, but I, I, I am made to confront my discomfort and I'm made to learn more and develop a more profound understanding of the dance when I go to a, a beginner class or all levels class taught by uh, an experienced dancer and teacher who has a different, uh, different perspective in mind. And that's, and then, and then really trying to make the experience of doing those exercises with other, with it, with the brand new beginners in that beginner class mm -hmm. to make it as profitable and profound and uh, beautiful as possible to try to help hook them basically mm -hmm. uh, on the dance. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that involves very little mm -hmm. verbal anything. Oh, that, 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 that one was great, you know, or, or I think we got it. I think we nailed it. You know, anything like really enthusiastic and positive, but, but, but with the body, with listening to the other person, with the little micro nuances we can dance, really trying to give them the absolute best opportunity, either role, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. giving them the best opportunity at success and to understand the movement and how it should feel. And I, you know, I don't think, uh, I'm anywhere yeah. close to the, the end of my journey on that. I, I think I have, uh, many years or decades more of, of really finding that profound, uh, and, and, and working with brand new dancers who don't have the tango conditioning that makes it so easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, being able to communicate well uh, with anybody uh, and, and make it make it a positive experience for anybody, even if they have a terrible attitude and they have no idea what they're doing and they're freaking out and they're frustrated and, you know, just making it a little bit better because they rotate it to me or whatever. Yeah, that's a nice segue into the next thing I want to ask you is that with this dance, even with all of your experience, you're always finding something new. You're always kind of pushing things more. So what's something new, James, that you've learned recently, maybe in the last few months or the last few years? Oh, wow. <laughs> these, are, these are great questions, Joe. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to answer uh, all of them, I think. There, there, there's, a, there's a lot of new things from falling in love with new music, well, new music, music that I haven't heard before or haven't heard in many years and didn't get the last time I heard it. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of music, mm -hmm. a lot of ideas as far as how the different orchestras are related to one another and how they, how they express rhythm in different ways. I've, I've come up with some very rudimentary kind of claves for, for different groups of orchestras, you know, these little undercurrent rhythms that, once you once you discover how they function with that orchestra, it it, it really becomes a, a kind mm. of ma magical way to jam out uh, rhythmically with with Canaro or with Troilo or with whoever it is uh, that you, you like dancing to, and that's that's been a lot of fun. I always love getting really deep into the music and uh, and, and and discovering uh, a lot more about it and the structure of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a, a friend and student, uh, Richard Spera up in Taos, who uh, for the first time started counting out the full eight quarter notes in, in my 5-4 uh, or 3-4 kind of drills. So, so just if we're, we're trying to break our, our habits musically and hear other relationships in the music that we can play with when we're improvising, mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've always liked to use the, the tools of, of counting out five quarter notes instead of four. Uh, and stepping and, and using that as our as our rhythm uh, to break habits, or or dancing three four. So basically, pretending like a normal tango is a waltz, or mm -hmm. pretending like it's Dave Brubeck's take five. <laughs> Moving on those rhythms. So first of all, 
very difficult and it really tickles us as dancers. And then we get used to it and we get the, the basic groove of it and we're dancing on a, on a downbeat, we're dancing on an upbeat the next step and then we're dancing on a downbeat. And we get used to that and uh, that, that's a lot of fun. But uh, our friend ah, Richard interesting. Uh, uh, started counting out the, the full repetitions of eight <laughs> phrases. So, uh, I mean, uh, eight quarter note, uh, two, two counts of eight quarter note phrases and he, he started figuring out the cycle of that and so now I, I have uh, a new idea of the phrasing of that, like how, how the phrasing of 5-4 mm-hmm. uh, works. It takes two and a half phrases to get through the cycle of the 5-4 dancing. Uh, and, and those are super nerdy tango things. You really, really, I, I really love that. You know? mm. and, then, and then you're dancing a certain Lawrence track or something. There's, there's plenty of rhythmic complexity. And you realize this one portion of this one section is completely in, in this kind of 5-4 thing where, where you have those beats, the 1 and then the 6 and then the 3 and then the 8, all emphasized in a row. And you think, wow, these, these musicians were really playing with a lot of fun. You know, and they were trying to mix it up you know, for decades and, and collaboration with each other and competition mm-hmm. with each other. Up with all these little fun things, and <laughs> I would never hear that in that Lawrence track unless I had practiced that mm-hmm. two and a half phrases or the cycle five four dancing, and it's so mm-hmm. abstract and, and funny, you know. But but that's 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 always very exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, playing around with that rhythm, it's it's really good for your brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I think it, it. I think it's really good for your brain, and it's really good for your dancing. I think you can do some. Magical things, you know. That mm-hmm. after you get used to that kind of thing yeah. and processing it on that level, you can you can uh, play around in a way and, and, and entertain your partner uh, in a way that that just uh, blows their mind. And, and and you know, it's it's that that's what's that's the fun side of getting that abstract. You know, is you uh, develop these techniques and, uh, and and reflections of the music that would never have occurred to you if uh, gone off on that that strange uh, unbeaten path yeah that makes me think of um i was just teaching like a very basic class on milonga rhythm and there was one guy he confessed to not having a good sense of rhythm but every time he danced he was always like on the offbeat a little bit yeah and it somehow worked it was weird it was you know kind of like as a tango a milonga version of like salsa on two yeah you know <laughs> and and he was really frustrated with himself, like, no, that, that's actually kind of working. So, yeah, yeah it's really, absolutely. really fun how this works. Yeah. Yeah. So, James, I want to switch gears a little bit to the uh, L.A. Tango Academy. So why don't you tell us how that came about? Oh, yeah. Well, I should preface this with the, the fact that I haven't been involved with the L.A. Tango Academy for about three years. Okay. Uh, and it, I'm very, I, well, other than just keeping up with them on Facebook and being very proud of everything they're doing. But the LA Tango Academy came about uh, when uh, Juliana Basmajian approached me and said that uh, she was interested in, in doing like a, a kind of a program, beginner program, a curriculum to get people uh, into tango in LA. And, and, and she and her, her friends, uh, Richard and Emma, mm-hmm. Uh, we're very interested in, in uh, collaborating with this. And I said, well, this is, this is right up my alley. This is, I love doing this. I had uh, mentioned to Mitra and Stefan, uh, who run Oxygen uh, I had mentioned to them years earlier while consulting with them about, about the running of Oxygen, that if their, their model was going to be so good, if no one copied it, I would come to L.A. and copy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so this was kind of a, a, a coincidental opportunity to do that and, 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 and also bring a lot of what I had learned from the 8th Dial in Seattle uh, 
uh, to the LA community. And, and uh, as it turned out, uh, uh, Richard and Emma were incredibly on top of it and ambitious. And uh, they soaked up everything I had to offer as far as curriculum and teaching. And while I was there uh, living in L.A., I ended up going to a lot of their classes uh, mm-hmm. because great. They were fun. They were informative. They, they had a different, different way of describing things than I did. It uh, always uh, interested me and I learned from. So once the, once the system was established and, uh, and we, had, we had some good flow of uh, beginners coming in and, and a nice system to work with them and bring them into dance, mm-hmm. uh, the, I would say the, the school ran itself, but that's basically Richard and Emma running it. That's the school, really. That's the heartbeat of uh, LA Tango Academy. So uh, that's, uh, it, was a, it was a great project to, to be a part of and to get going and to, to help out with in the direction of and. One thing that I really learned a lot as far as a tango teacher and professional uh, is that the, the culture, the local culture, has a tremendous amount of influence over how you can teach people tango there. Mm-hmm. You know, what I, what I had in Seattle, what I had developed uh, over, over many, many years in Seattle with a, a large collection of, of really dedicated, uh, heartfelt, uh, intelligent instructors, what we developed uh, was what I felt like at the time for the time and place was the absolute perfect system for people learning tango over two or three years and becoming very nice, very competent dancers who can go to anywhere in the world and have a good time. Uh, and I thought, I thought we, we had absolute perfection. And I think we did for that time and place. But taking that exact same system and trying to apply it to the culture of Los Angeles uh, and also time, you know, if you, uh, just a few years later, tango changes. Uh, every few years, the different things are in vogue, different styles, right? And so so not only the, the shifting of the, the local culture, but the shifting of, of the time and what's popular and everything else, mm-hmm. applying that exact same system to the general community of greater Los Angeles, <laughs> whatever, 18 million strong or whatever, it did not work, did not function at all in the same way mm-hmm. as far as retention or how people ended up feeling after a certain number of months. Uh, in, in LA and we had to, we had to make major changes to our approach mm-hmm. And, and I, I just, I love that. That's, you know, and, and I've been working with the uh, uh, Gothenburg community in Sweden for nearly nine years now. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. That scene has changed dramatically and it is, it is really a, a powerhouse now. It's a lot of fun to dance tango there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I had a very, very little to do with that, but uh, it's, it's mostly the people there, but I've, I've had the, uh, I've, I've been allowed to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, the growth of that and, and, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's one of my favorite things to see uh, tango communities go from being, you know, really small. Maybe there's political problems and, and nonsense that plague every tango community at some point. You know, and then, you know, and I, I love to see them develop into something really blossoming and with a, a larger than average uh, per capita proportion of their local population. I, I really like that. So I feel like the Tango Academy was a, a, a good uh, venue into that, and Richard and Emma were the perfect people to run it and and, uh, and and take it to where it needs to go. So, yeah, yeah, it's funny. Whenever I travel, I always randomly run into Richard somewhere at a Malanga. He's he's really great guy. Really fun to watch him dance. Yeah, yeah, beautiful dancer. Yeah. Uh, that's one one thing that I I really learned uh, from Richard while while uh, working with him in L.A. was. You know, and, and it's a lesson that keeps getting repeated, but I think it really hit home with Richard was that I, I had a lot of classic kind of salon sequences or my interpretation of them uh, with, uh, with, you know, two or three steps, you know, while, while this 
this thing is happening, Lovis Molinete or this term, whatever, you know, this thing is happening and the leader takes two or three steps. Richard just wouldn't step at all and he would just make his his uh, his feet, his turnout, his point, all that really, really finished. And he would cut out a lot of those extra little steps. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was just cleaner and, and really beautiful. And, I, you know, I've been now, you know, in my own practice and, and drilling been, uh, and, and re-choreographing re-chore- of those sequences have been a lot of that, like simplifying it and focusing more on getting, you know, just a simple, beautiful aesthetic because that's a, that's a Richard Zepeda thing. Uh, I really like that. Nice. Yeah, just another uh, community-oriented question for you, James. So in your opinion, what are some good ways for advanced students to, to help the beginner students? Man, uh, these, these questions are awesome, Joe. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea how this was going to go, but this is, uh, these, these are like the, probably the, the most interesting and important questions. I think advanced dancers embracing working with beginners has to take a multiple platform approach in, in, in terms of personalities of the advanced dancers. Mm-hmm. So my initial empathic response is just that advanced dancers should dance with the beginners as much as possible to help bring them up. Mm-hmm. But it's more complex than that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that plague advanced dancers in every community around the world, including Buenos Aires, which is burnout. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, uh, uh, less inspiration than you're putting out. Yeah. You know, and if you keep that up for too long, where you're where you're more of a source of inspiration than you're getting, you're gonna you're gonna experience burnout. Some people try to tough it out and they burn out worse, and other people get very other people get very good at uh, at acknowledging it uh, early on and saying, "Listen, I need to switch gears for a little bit, take a break from this kind of thing." Yeah. Social. Day- I need to take a break from social dancing for a couple of months mm-hmm. and then uh, and listen to a lot of tango and watch a lot of tango, teach lessons and everything. And then I, after a couple of months, I'm going to be dying to go social dancing. I'm going to have that energy again and that love for it and that passion. Um, so burnout management for advanced dancers, I think, is very important mm-hmm. because it makes the difference between advanced dancers uh, being a, a pretty significant part of the tango community or coming out twice a year and just together. You know, and that's that doesn't help anybody, in, in, including that now. So, you know, I think uh, just having that standard, having a few people of experience uh, in town who have that standard of, um, you know, you 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 need to recognize your own burnout and what you do or what you need to do uh, when you have the energy and the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Going to beginner classes or any level classes, but going to beginner classes, going to milongas and dancing with new people and all of that is a wonderful thing to do and contribute as a dancer. I think there is, and this, this defaults into the realm of, of, the, of the courtship ritual. I think more advanced dancers inviting beginner dancers to practice for free, you know, just to work with, just to, just to do what they're learning in classes over and over again is a really, really crucial and wonderful thing. Uh, uh, to help bring people along, uh, and as I said, that that is that is uh, so often in the context of, you know, uh, hey, do you want to you want to come over and practice with me? I'm ex- I'm an experienced tango dancer, and we can hook up. Uh, and you know, and, and it depends on the local culture as well whether that's really a common situation or not. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, in any case, I think whatever the reason or the underlying agenda may be. Anytime that uh, patient, experienced, uh, caring, uh, advanced tango dancers spend gratis, you know, just giving their time to uh, uh, up-and-coming new dancers uh, is, is huge. You know, 
really huge. And that, that, that makes such a giant difference in terms of how people uh, are able to absorb the dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah. So, so along those lines, uh, James, uh, what are some valuable lessons that you've learned from your own tango students? Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> we had the, 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 the Richard thing uh, already, um, the, the simplifying the, the footwork. And, um, you know, I've, I've probably spent more time with uh, Crystal Rodriguez uh, than anybody else as far as uh, seeing her teach or her, uh, you know, getting her opinion. So I've learned a tremendous amount from her. The, that can be any, anything from, you know, as simple as you rush that step to, uh, you know, uh, you're, you know you're, you're always pigeon-toed in your back ochos, which is a cool low, especially after two decades. You know, if it's, if it's true, it's true. You know, that, uh, having somebody who is who has studied with you for years but has no problem telling you exactly what the situation is, wow. uh, uh, is, is very useful. Uh, and, and so, you know, probably those little, little things, which I can't even enumerate, you know, that I've gotten from Krista have been very valuable and, you know, very often comically delivered, which is great. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think, you know, what I've learned from, uh, my students, I've been living now in, in Santa Fe for the last three years and I, three and a half years. And I, I, I love Santa Fe. It's my third time living here, uh, since I was 18 and uh, it's been a, it's been a great three years, mm-hmm. and I think what I've learned uh, uh, most from my students in this part of the world mm-hmm. uh, over the last three years is that people are absolutely terrified of counting to eight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's it's it's and everyone thinks they're they're unique in this as well, you know, uh, around here. And and, mm-hmm. and you can imagine in places like uh, in Seattle or in Sweden, people might be just as terrified of it, but they don't admit it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> There's a generally uh, more mathy, sciencey kind of culture in Seattle versus most of uh, 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 the rest of the country. Seattle and Boston, I think about these very, very uh, mathematical, science kind of oriented cultures. Yeah, you have pockets of that everywhere, of course, but you know, there, there's. Mm-hmm. There's not, and while I was in LA, I, I was teaching at Caltech, and you know, I didn't get m- many complaints about counting to eight mm-hmm. <laughs> over or that that kind of analysis. You know, uh, but I think that that uh, here in the Southwest, and especially in Santa Fe, Taos, Albuquerque, and, and the surrounding areas, I think mm-hmm. people come here because uh, it, it's it's a little quieter. It's not as populous. Uh, I think it attracts a lot of sensitive people. It attracts a lot of artistic mm-hmm. people. It has for a long time, uh, and I think that, uh, and it, it attracts a lot of expressive people. Uh, in, a lot of great performing artists coming uh, out, of, out of here, out of this region, and music and theater and everything else, uh, and, and tango as well. Uh, and I, I think that the, the ability to say I am freaked out by this counting to eight thing is it's, it's just people are able to say that here. Yeah. They don't, I don't think there's any cultural pressure against that. I think people are freaked out by counting to eight everywhere in the world. <laughs> I think Caltech people are freaked out by too in, in some regard because it is an immediate, it's an immediate accountability. And I think that in addition to a lot of math trauma that people have growing up, yeah. which, well, it's silly to include counting to eight over and over again, or even counting to three over and over again in a waltz, you know, or what it is. Uh, 
you know, it, that's it's it's just uh, it's silly to be to be to associate that with your math trauma, but it's not really. I mean, that, that's what trauma is, right? People have a strong imprinting emotionally of this that they've carried with them their whole life, and in addition to that, there's just an accountability. You know, there is an actual one, uh, and and you can be wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, because you're going with your feelings and you're you're just feeling it out and all of that, then, then mm-hmm. kind of, we, we can keep this other very important thing that exists in tango, which is going with the flow. We can keep that devoid of the accountability. Mm-hmm. And, and as far as I, my teaching and my students go, I feel that, that, it's, that there has to be some accountability for development. We have to, we have to be able to see the difference between things and, and we have to be able to, to go through that. But back to your, uh, one, one of your first questions, the psychological aspect of learning tango. Mm-hmm. I think that relationship with accountability uh, letting people off the hook for that really has really become clear to me here is that, you know, I, I, I have to relax with, uh, allowing, you know, with, with, with needing to, uh, uh, hold people accountable for something as abstract as that five, four, three, four exercise, for example. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that, that it's going to have to be something that evolves, uh, over a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know? That I'm going to count for people, and I'm going to I'm going to show people where we are in the phrasing, and where what the, the syncopation yeah. or the quadroon is, or whatever else we're calling these musical elements at this point in, in our, uh, our world. I'm going to I'm going to have to make that a, a, a pretty unconscious journey where there's slowly an awakening of oh yeah mm-hmm. I know that that that's where the one is that's where you know the the beat starts I know where. I know that little ding and Biagi on the piano was on a six. I don't even know how I know it. I, and, and for me, it, you know, it took me more than a decade to really start figuring the music out. Like, you know, I was talented at, 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 at expressing the emotion of it because I felt the emotion of it. And I was talented with remembering the little details of it. But in, in order to start understanding the structure of the music, uh, and even as a musician, this caused me to shy away from really trying to play it, you know, or get into it that way. Uh, but finally, in my own living room in Seattle, just trying to figure out Tanturi, you know, and figure out what the structure was and where these breaks were coming up and, and what the consistency was. And, and after a couple of years, I, I, I got it. And, and it was hard before because I, I would get uh, asked to choreograph for non-tango dancers, professional dancers, mm-hmm. my- ballet dancers, you know, but, but non-tango dancers. Uh, and I would get asked to choreograph for them to some this epic Pugliese track or whatever. And, <laughs> and I would have to, I would spend days figuring out like where the eight counts were. Because <laughs> you know? I didn't know how to do it. I didn't really, I had mm. never really made myself do it and, and figure it out and be clear about it. Uh, and uh, different instructors had different uh, methodologies that didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Confused me more. And and so I, I spent a good decade running away from trying, like sitting down and just figuring out what is happening with this music. You know, what is going on? What is consistent all the time? What, where, what are the little variations? Mm-hmm. And, and after a couple of years, I, I, I had a con- enough confidence. So this is like year 12 or something like this. I had, you know, <laughs> I had enough confidence mm-hmm. to actually introduce it to my more advanced students yeah. and listen to this Biagi track and say, oh, the emphasis is on the four and the eight and the four or whatever. Uh, and, and, and know exactly what was going on. And my most advanced students had studied with me for years without ever hearing a count. And 
had to get used to it. But it was easier as a group. Mm -hmm. And I started to get something about how we learned that kind of structure. Because anytime we had a ballerina in the classroom or a modern dancer who, who started out with ballet as a, as a person, you know, or whoever it was, I mean, they knew where the one was every time. Uh -huh. I would look to them for help, you know. And, and they don't even, you know, they, they like started at five, six, seven years old, whenever they started. And, you know, and they have phrasing and the count and everything just there in the background all the time, you know, for, for years and years and years. And it wasn't like you have a pop quiz going to make you, you know, but, but you come out of that knowing exactly what the structure of any music is, really. And that's such a useful tool for social improvisers, for uh, performance improvisers, for performance choreographers to, to have that, that much clarity with, with where the phrasing and the count is and, and to use a useful system that incorporates everything. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I've really, uh, that's been a, a major adventure for me. Uh, and, and, and getting back to the Santa Fe people, you know, I, I think because I was terrified of the count for a decade, mm -hmm. I think don't want to acknowledge the human fear about that. I want and like never had like that decade didn't happen. You know, other people are like, I'm afraid of the count. I don't know what to you know, it, it, it's hard for me to deal with. You know, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to uh, go back there, you know. And I think that a lot of a lot of the success for me in introducing people to uh, uh, tango dancing has been in the ability to go back there and remember like and remember mm -hmm that that i had to confront something that i was pretty terrified of you know ah. and then the other hard thing is if i tell people that if i tell people listen what you're telling me you're afraid of i was terrified of for 10 years you know and i i put off for 10 years and for much of that time i was i was working in tango and and and, and, and doing tango professionally and still just was i was so they don't believe me you know now, now i'm good at it. <laughs> No, now it's been 12 years since I started that adventure, yeah. you know. And I always marveled at uh, uh, Angel Echeverria, my stepdad in L.A. Uh, mm -hmm. I was, whenever I was teaching some crazy musicality class with about the syncopations or this or that, you know, and I had everything counted out and, I was, and, and everyone had been working on it for an hour and a half or three hours or whatever at the tango room. I, uh, you know, he would come in at the end of the class and, and we would have all memorized a, a Tanturi song and where all the were and everyone is dancing what they've spent the last hour and a half memorizing you know they, the, 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 it's one and five and and special one where he does a three and or something like that. you know mm -hmm. and Angel comes in and he just nails all of them you know without even seeing the class you know and that's what you get with 60 years of tango you know that imprinting uh, so powerfully uh, you know that that we, we think well you know, uh, we can't expect to have all of the magic of someone who's been dancing for 60 years, you know, <laughs> but we, we, is there, are there any ways we can get our nervous system to get used to certain patterns and ideas in the music in such a way that we, we, we maybe can get there in 20 years, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, rather than 60, you know, Angel's just got it. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a difference uh, trying to get someone, you know, to have a basic version of that in, in the next two years that they can really enjoy be willing to make all the mistakes and failures along the way without crushing them personally you know mm -hmm. absolutely yeah wow good stuff so james this has been a lot of fun so where do we find out more about you online well uh eight style santa fe mm -hmm. 
Uh, 8styletango.com okay. uh, is, is our current site. Uh, uh, Krista and I are living in Santa Fe and uh, teaching in house and teaching here. And we host a practicum on Friday nights uh, that will be taking a break for June, but returning in July, uh, or actually the last week of June, I think. Okay. Uh, and uh, we, you know, we're, we are traveling also where you might find us at this marathon or this festival, uh, you know, in, in anywhere in Europe or the States or wherever else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we might just run into each other and have a tanda. Yeah. Um, but you just have to ask us, you know, we're, uh, you know, we, we don't do the cabaseo very much. My, my eyesight is going and, you know, just kind of ask <laughs> good. okay, well, I have your uh, websites in our show notes. So people will be able to look you up and figure out what you're up to next. All right. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, James, thanks again so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks for coming for the the greater Tango community. Yeah, I do my best. (laughs) All right. Have a great day, man. Hope to to meet you in person soon. Looking forward to it. Okay, that was fun. We covered a lot in that conversation. I really liked what James said about hitting walls. We all have moments when we progress in Tango and things feel good until we come across a concept or figure that frustrates us. Instead of panicking, quitting, or getting stuck on questioning our abilities, this is an opportunity for growth. These moments can be very motivating, and amidst our struggle, let's remember to have fun. And when we touched upon how to be a mentally strong tango dancer, I liked how James mentioned that we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. The improvisational nature of tango means that we're going to be trying things that aren't always going to work. And we have to look upon failure as part of the learning process. No, failure doesn't feel good, but we need to embrace it, no pun intended, if we want to get better. And I'm glad James touched upon the issue of burnout among experienced dancers. Now, depending on the size or vibe of your particular community, burnout is something to be aware of. With your tango, if you feel as though you're putting in a lot and getting less and less in return, you have to figure out why. Do you need to put in more effort, less effort, refocus your effort, seek new experiences? Think about it. Don't ignore that feeling. So thank you again, James, for sharing your many insights and for your time. And of course, thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. You are an amazing audience. If you're enjoying the show, please take a quick moment to subscribe and please leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. That helps out a lot. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon.